Our current systems aimed at reducing conflict are not working. Restorative justice works. I have seen it and I believe in it. 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 Today we welcome onto the podcast Christina and Johanna. Christina Mossgraber is the Chief Operations Officer at NAMI Rochester, which stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Christina thrives on using her lived experience as a suicide attempt survivor and peer living with bipolar disorder to better the lives of others. She is strong, kind, incredibly fun, and relentlessly pushing what real advocacy can look like. Her indomitable spirit fuels her passion to educate the community about mental health and suicide prevention, advocate for peers and family members, and fight stigma on a daily basis. Johanna lives in Brighton, New York, and loves spending time with her family. Johanna is also a graduate of the Mental Health Court Program in Rochester, New York, and is brave enough to share her story here with us today. We are so grateful for the work Johanna does in the community to spread awareness of mental health as it relates to the criminal justice system. Christina and Johanna, we're so excited to have you here today. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having us. So glad to be with you guys. We wanted to start in the spirit of restorative practices with a connection circle, a connection question, which is what is something that is bringing you joy right now? Christina, I'll throw it to you first. Oh, all right, Clay. So I have to say, I mean, I, you know, my middle name is Joy. So I'm always like seeking out the joy. <gasps> I didn't know that. It. Yeah. So that's why my nickname's KJ. So the J is, is Joy. So right now though, I'd have to say like my current like Joy is my nephew. I have a nephew who mm. my first like little munchkin in my world who's going to be six months next week. And I just like, I don't know, buying him stuff and just like seeing pictures mm. every day and the Google photo drive. Mm. I, don't know, man. I just can't like his little face. So, well, cool. Yeah. Great piece of joy. I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in next here. <laughs> Something that's bringing me joy lately. I think it's just like, uh, I'm attached to my routine right now. So I mm. like, I like Ooh. having, I like being able to, to know exactly kind of what's coming next in the morning. I have, I have my most solid routine right before I go to bed and in the morning. So it's like knowing I'm going to have my coffee in like a very specific way. And like, there's a, there's a habitual ritual routine thing that I think is, is just giving me a sense of peace and stability that I'm enjoying. It's giving me joy. Me, I have um, amazing little step granddaughter who's going to be three next mom in two months and my stepdaughter just announced that she's pregnant again with a little boy um and then my 17 year old who is going to be graduating soon and he's just his artwork is amazing and he's starting tattooing so he designed a couple different tattoos for me so and he keeps he's going to do one of these days for me so i can't wait but yeah, family. My family is awesome and I love them. So that's beautiful, Joanna. Thanks for sharing. I got to round it out being the last one here after Christina starting. My sister is a twin and she just had twin boys. They were born on the fourth. And so that has been such a big event and huge marker in my family. And it's very exciting. I got to meet them on Monday a few days ago and they're so 
beautiful and so small and so snugly. And it was really nice. And these are my parents' first grandchildren. So seeing my parents as grandparents is so emotional, so amazing. So yeah, definitely my joy right now. Thanks for doing that with us. Get all the wiggles out. Christina, you are the, the chief operating officer at NAMI Rochester. And Joanna, you are a graduate of the mental health court in Rochester. Uh, c- can you tell us a little bit more about how the mental health court works, what that is? So I'm just going to, you know, put out there for me, working in mental health court and meeting people like Johanna is truly an honor and one of the highlights of what I get to do in this space because treatment courts are, you know, they're an incredible and still, I think, very unique program still, you know, gaining traction nationally. And I'm actually working with some folks in Australia who are trying to get some started in their space, but the beautiful thing about them and, you know, thinking about restorative justice is they give people an opportunity that because of, you know, either their mental health condition or substance use or whatever is happening to get back on their feet, you know, to have some dignity and to stay out of jail and to, Mm. you know, work through treatment programs that they may not have had access to before. Because a lot of times when people end up in situations like this, it's due to a lack of resources and a lack of access to resources um, and, or a lack of awareness of what might be going on because we don't talk about mental health the way that we need to. Right. And that's why we work in this space, but it's just a really, it's a very rigorous program. I'll let Johanna certainly speak to that, but so worth it. Cause I, again, I've met so many amazing people that it was a moment in their life and it, it was a moment in time where something happened that you know, any one of us could find it when we're not well, but they have an opportunity to, again, build back better, you know, with support, mm-hmm. with dignity, with, um, you know, there's just a team of us that wrap ourselves around these folks, because we know that if you don't have the right supports, you're not going to be successful. So I just love it so much. And, you know, for me living with mental illness too, I think about when I was unwell and the times where Honestly, you know, people will ask me all the time, like, oh, did you go through this program? And I tell them, like, honestly, no, it's just by the grace of the universe that, you know, when I was not well, that I didn't do something that I got caught or, you know, things like that. And it doesn't make me better than or doesn't mean that I, you know, you know, skated by. It just means I'm super fortunate and so grateful, but so aware of what an incredible program it is and how, you know, we all deserve that chance to, you know, to, to build back better and to have the, again, the dignity and support and resources that, that, that takes. So Johanna, you want to jump in and, and add more on that? Well, it, before I got into the mental health court system, I unfortunately was in and out of the system because I didn't know, well, I famous words from Christine. I, what I didn't know, I didn't know. I kept failing. The system kept failing me because I wasn't getting, well, I kept failing. How do I put it? I wasn't getting the help I needed. I, um, I had a chemical dependency problem and I had mental health issues and I couldn't get the help because I wasn't getting both the dual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So until I got into the mental health court system, I didn't, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling here. Um, I didn't get it both conquered. And then until I did, and actually, before I got into that court system, they were going to let me out of jail until I asked for help. Mm -hmm. And then they, they were like, um, I said, no, put me into inpatient. So they kept me in, um, I asked to go into mental health court. So they put me in inpatient after that. And then the, that's when I went through mental health court with the um, judge. And then that's when I met Christine. 
Joanna, I just want to say thank you. I think that I think that your bravery and being able to share some of your story is the way that so many people who are kind of stuck in this system are going to maybe find Mm -hmm. a way out as well. Christina, when you talk about the possibility within the the mental health court system and the innovation that like we're just kind of on the edge of as people start to rethink what justice could look like or why people might be in the system in the first place, you speak with such optimism about it. And Johanna, to be able to share your story with the hundreds and hundreds of people who are caught in that space Mm -hmm. and can't find their way out. I just want to thank you for your bravery. I think that you, you, you shine like a little bit of a light on a pathway. So, and I know it's not easy to, to share that. So thank you. Yeah, I think what trips people up is not knowing that there are alternative programs out there and there's a ton to unpack on who those programs are accessible to. But I'm wondering if you could both kind of shine light on that. How do folks get connected to the mental health court program? I know, Christina, most of your experience is here in Rochester, but how do how do folks get referred or connected to or how can people become more aware of alternative programs that might have them find more of those restorative values like recovery and stability and dignity like you've both talked about? I didn't realize I well, I didn't realize the chemical dependency and my mental health addict were dual diagnosed until I was dual diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I kept battling my chemi- my drug addiction and until I found out that they went hand in hand. Mm. I was able to stay sober. But before I was just handling my drug addiction and alcoholism. And then I wasn't staying sober and I, I was beating a dead horse. So now, now I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing both of them. Mm. I'm dealing with both hand in hand. And now I'm staying sober. I'm, I've been sober over two and a half years now. Wow. So if I didn't go through a mental health court and I wasn't, um, I didn't ask for the right help. I think I you have to learn how to ask for help. You have mm-hmm. to advocate yourself. And a lot of people don't know. Like I said, um, I think if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I learned that from somebody else. <laughs> um, <laughs> someone's favorite words. And unfortunately, not a lot of people, especially with mental health, they don't understand and they don't know. And if they only know, the bad things, they're not mm-hmm. going to understand what's good for them. So um, if you open a, do- a whole new world for them, it's going to be exciting. <laughs> and um, like my whole new world right now is amazing. Mm-hmm. So family life, I didn't have this before. Like I said before, my stepdaughter wouldn't even talk to me. So, and now I have my family in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Christina, I want to know, tell us more about what you don't know you don't know. so (laughs) um it's so one thing that (laughs) I do say it all the time (laughs) because it's so powerful because you know when I was getting better one thing I struggled with especially was just really intense feelings of shame and guilt and you know what I put my family through and we worked through it as a family and there was a lot of like shoulda coulda wouldas and like you know my parents if we had gotten you treatment when you were younger and if if this and if that, and if I'd said this, or I'd done that. And the thing is you can't do anything about that. Right. So I always say, and I started saying, and this is what helped, you know, this was helped a lot on my healing process. It helped on my family's healing process. And now I teach 
and tell, you know, pretty much everybody that I work with and I get to meet because it's based on the fact you didn't know what you didn't know, right? You did the best you could at the time with what you had, with the knowledge, with the resources, um, with the understanding that you did. And it doesn't mean that necessarily it was, you know, the, the best choice. It just means you, you did the best you could with what you had, you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, for example, like I didn't know all the years I was struggling with these thoughts and feelings and actions that they were symptoms of a mental illness. I thought that it was something that made me a bad person and it made me, un, you know, it, it just, it was my own fault. Right. And I had to like figure out how to sort through it and not talk about it. And when I found out, you know, I was like, oh, well, yeah, these are all symptoms of untreated bipolar disorder, which I have. So, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that it's just, again, I find very powerful because the only way we can move forward is by getting out of the past. You know, it's always going to be there. I like to think of it as a learning tool, but you can't move forward in your, in your world, in your existence, if you're stuck in that, that cycle of shoulda, coulda, wouldas and in the past. So, Mm -hmm. so that is, you know, the big origin of that. And I love that Johanna uses it. Episode title. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, just think about anything too. Like we, we don't know how to drive. Like, you know, you don't just like turn 16 and like, yeah, you know how to drive. Right. Yeah. You have to learn. Right. And like, you don't know how to just bake. You have to like learn if you want to, you know, just everything. So I, I know I can tell that Laura and I both have like 1 million questions individually. So we're going to like free this out as we go. But yeah. I feel like if you've ever listened to Jonathan Van Ness's podcast, they talk about how um, he'll be like, my triceps are shaking. Like when he gets like really excited about something, he's like, <laughs> like my triceps aren't even shaking today. My, it's my quads today. Like when like a knowledge bomb is dropped and I just have to tell you, that's how I feel right now. Anyways, I love it. Laura, Laura, you go first. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a there's a sense of the freedom from shame, but also the permission to love yourself mm, yeah. that comes with that phrase. You don't know yep. what you don't know, which right. is like, yeah, maybe the key to so much healing in yourself. And when you are when you've maybe figured out how to heal yourself or give yourself some of that love back, then the other people in your life who may have felt disconnected or harmed because of whatever action you have, they start to come back to, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's this obvious connection between the two of you, right? <laughs> like there's this real spark. And I want to know more about that. Like so much of what we talk about with restorative practices and restorative justice is the relationship and the connection that's formed between people. And that that's the crux of so much change and so much healing. So what was it like when you met each other? How did you, how did you kind of form this relationship, this really, this trust-based relationship? I, I don't know. I think we just hit it off, um, yeah. our relationship. And then I had it through court. I had to take the NAMI course, which I loved anyways. What was it like? Um, it was what, three days or a couple of I don't remember how long the course was, but yeah. um, it, it was, was right at the beginning of the pandemic and who knows what happened then. And it was, it was really cool because we get to learn a lot more about mental health issues and stuff like that. And I just, well, I just love learning anyways, which God forbid, if I said that during high school, my mom probably would have died of a heart attack, but, <laughs> but we just, I don't know. Every time, every time I saw her in court, I just had to go and talk to her. I just felt drawn to her because mm. I think because she was, she knows where I've been and mm. she's known how, what I feel and I don't have to explain things to her. Mm. It's so me. relatable. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. And, vo- and maybe vulnerable with her own experience your own experience, Christina, and that's the path to, to connection. Yeah. 
Narrator break. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Ray. So much of this season has reflected real stories and real people who are experiencing these restorative values firsthand. Johanna's story is so impactful and her ability to speak on her own experience is inspiring. As a listener and producer for this episode, I'm reminded by the sheer amount of trust and vulnerability that went into making this interview. Johanna had never met any of us. She knows a little bit about who we are through email, but we really only spoke for 10 or 15 minutes to really establish any sort of relationship before we press the red button. You know, at camp, we always talk about building and scaling trust. In order for kids to feel connected in a community, they need to be able to find trust in each other with their friends, their counselors, their directors. I believe we form this trust in a bunch of different ways. But one of the most powerful to me has always been the moments we can be vulnerable with each other. The moments we open up and share things that are scary, hard, or even extremely personal to us. It doesn't happen every second of every day, but when it does, it's magical. I believe Christina found that trust and vulnerability early on with Johanna. Christina is incredible at being herself, authentic and fun, but also warm and compassionate. And it is because of that trust, Johanna got on this random podcast interview with random camp directors to talk about what I'm sure are some hard memories for her. But her vulnerability is strength. And especially in today's world, we have to recognize that. Celebrate that. It's so important. So for anyone listening out there, know that your story matters. Johanna's story matters. And it reminds us that trust and vulnerability are essential aspects of what make work like this possible. In hearing Johanna share her story, we are reminded of and inspired by the work of Brene Brown. Brene is a social worker, researcher, and professor who has spent the last two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. Her research shows over and over again that great leaders embrace vulnerability, yet our understanding of vulnerability is so contradictory in the mainstream world. We know deeply sharing and showing up is a sure fast way to develop meaningful relationships, but it's often taken as a symptom of personal weakness. Brene Brown's work dives into how, when, why, and who can share vulnerability and how all of the identities we carry, the experiences we hold, and the spaces we occupy change how willing we are to share. We continue to be inspired by Brene Brown's research as we embark on this work. I think, I mean, I feel the same way, you know, we just, I meet, I mean, I meet a ton of people in this work and I meet a ton of people in treatment court and I'm always, you know, I'm always so grateful, but there are, I mean, it's just, it's organic, right? I mean, that's just how it is in life period, right? Like you're organically drawn to certain people and you connect with certain people. But I think Laura, what you said about the vulnerability, I mean, I think that's definitely a huge part of it. You know, like I come into the space in treatment court, knowing that everybody in treatment court is there why they're there. Right. And I know what's going to happen. And I don't, no one gets treated differently. You know, of course, like, again, I connect, you know, like I connect differently with certain people, but everybody is treated with the same dignity, have the same conversations, do everything we can to find the same supports. And for me, the vulnerability piece, as you mentioned, is huge because 
if I walked in there or, I mean, if anyone wants some nice space, but if I walked in there and was like, well, I'm the COO at Navi Rockstar now and I'm better than y'all and you have to come to a group and here's how, if I was a participant, I'd be like, who is this bleep bleep? And I would not <laughs> want to talk to me. Right. But right. Look at me like censoring myself on a Friday, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? So it's like, and I, and that's just not my style. Right. But I've also met people who that's their approach, right? Like I know more than you and this is what we're going to do. And this is what you have to do. And mm-hmm. that's not successful, right? Nobody responds yeah. well to that because we're humans just trying to like do this, do this life. Right. Mm. And so, and also, I mean, I guess when you're organically passionate about something, it, sh- it shines. Right. And so, I mean, for me too, I'm very passionate about this because I, again, I know I said earlier, it could happen to anyone at any time, you know, any single one of us could find ourselves in a situation where we're either in trouble with the law or in trouble in a family situation, or, you know, did something we don't you know, feel particularly proud of. And we all deserve the same opportunity to make it right, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Right. And, and that's why, you know, it just, it speaks so much to me. And I think too, for so long, you know, I mean, I know we could be here all day if we wanted to dig into the, the broken criminal justice system, but, you know, for so long, especially with the correlation of mental health and, and criminal justice, it's institutionalize them, put them mm-hmm. in jail, or just put them back on the street with no resources. Mm-hmm none of those paths are successful. And quite frankly, none of those paths are dignified. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's just, you know, I, I, you know, I can't, Johanna knows how much I love, you know, mental health court and the other treatment courts we have here and are so lucky to have. And I just, I can't, I don't know. I just, I can't truly, I just can't say enough like good stuff about it and how important and impactful it, it really is. I mean, I'm working with a friend of a friend right now who's looking at four years in jail and we're hoping that if he does qualify and can get into the program, he'd be able to stay out of jail and he'd be able to, you know, reduce, hopefully, you know, reduce his felonies down to misdemeanors. So Christina, I got a two-parter question. You ready? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Number one, can you give us a breakdown of somebody's arrested or commits a crime go from when that happens to how they get connected to Mm y'all? And number two, have you ever, been connected to somebody or has anybody ever been referred to you who's not interested in the program or is pretty skeptical about it and what that looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So great two-parter, Clee. So I'll address the second part actually first. You absolutely 100% have to want to be in this program. This program is not uh, like, yeah, kind of do it. Mm-hmm. You are in. And we have had people that you know, their attorneys and and the judges and everybody works together to get them to, to treatment court and they don't, they don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You don't have to, it's not mandatory. It's an opportunity. Right. And so then, you know, whatever happens, happens. So we have people who don't want to do it and they end up getting sentenced and then they go serve their jail or prison time or people honestly do just disappear, um, which is heartbreaking, but it it does happen. So that's hard, but it's just like any kind of treatment or any kind of recovery. You have to want it. You know, you can't force anything like this on people. And we've had people that, you know, they'll start and they, they leave and then they come back Mm. and that happens. You know, there's people that like the the door, unless you really, really, really mess up, judge Elliot's going to leave that door open for you, you know? And that's one of the beautiful things is, is the judge who runs it. I just, he's just amazing. And, you know, he, he's a former public defender and just a, and he's a Rochester native. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. And, you know, he's tough, but fair. And that's, that's the best part. And he's funny and he's, 
he believes in this too, you know, so that really sets the tone and sets the stage for how our you know, mental health court runs to here in Rochester. And then as far as the path, every single person's path is different. You know, someone may get arrested and then, you know, they'll be in jail and then they might go from jail and, and work out a deal with, you know, the town, whatever the town or the city, mm-hmm. the courts to work with the treatment team, work or work with the mental health court team, determine they're eligible. And then they might end up going right to a rehab bed. Like they might get a rehab bed and then come back and start court, or they might, you know, c- come out of jail, start court and go to a rehab bed. And they might end up back in jail and then go from like, we have people right now who are in custody who are still part of the program, but then we'll go to an inpatient bed. They'll be monitored. You know, their court liaison will still check in with them. And then they'll come back to coming to actual physical court when they're out of the program. So every, everybody's path is different, but it's, it's a big team effort. And, you know, everyone that's involved has to agree. You know, the people who are in the, the town or the city where the person was in trouble, they have to agree with the people that are, are working, you know, the defense team. So it's a whole bunch of, of people that have to have a lot of conversations mm-hmm. to make sure the person is eligible and, and interested in this program. And so I think one of the things, you know, to the earlier conversation about awareness is it's making sure that people know these programs exist and they are an option. Um, and and it, they're not always, the person isn't always eligible and that, you know, that does happen obviously, but I've talked with so many people, like, again, my friend who came to me and she's like, she's like, I remember you talking about working in, in this, you know, your treatment court. She's like, tell me more about that. And then she related to, you know, the attorney and this and that. And so they're having conversations about it, but, but the attorney knew nothing about it. So, which is okay. We just have to do better, right? We, we don't know. We don't know. So we've got to do better and have more conversations. It sounds like another restorative piece almost is the fact that you, without having the connection or the support from the judge or attorneys or court liaisons or social workers, these folks might be working with it wouldn't be as successful. And I'm almost hearing a community piece from that as well. We know that restorative justice relies on relationships and communities to have trust in order to work. And it sounds like you in connection and working with them consistently is really what could make this program successful for people. Yeah. Johanna, do you want to speak to that? Well, I kind that's how I kind of got into the just um, into the mental health court system mm-hmm. was just how she explained it was I, I was in and out of the system from 2009 until 2019. And when I was arrested in 2019, I was arrested in Brighton, which they were pretty much going to let me back out on the streets. And I had an order of protection against my family or my family had one against me mm-hmm. and I had no place to go. And I asked them, can I, like go to inpatient. I, you know, cause I was at my last, my last job and that's how I got involved in mental health court because I was just like, well, I knew the drug court was like so overwhelmed and I'm like, well, I need mental health help. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really understand it or anything at that point. And I had to ask for myself and, um, I, you know, I, none, a lot of these, a lot of people aren't bad people. We're just sick people. It's mm-hmm. not like, especially uh, once I, uh, you know, I'm a drug addict and mental health. So I'm not, I wasn't a bad person. I was a sick person who didn't know what was, I didn't know. So, mm-hmm. and now that I'm getting the help I needed, I'm a better person. There's a lot of different things going on still. You know, there, there's a lot of things that could be 
helped mm-hmm. getting helping getting jobs and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's horrible especially with the courts as soon as they I, I get a job and then I find it they do a background check and it's like mm-hmm. I'll be working a couple of weeks and then my background check comes in and it's like no nope, you're out <laughs> so that's so frustrating <laughs> I am I feel I feel frustrated for you and there's nothing I can do about it it's like I'm not that person anymore so yeah. all is you right right and and to be kind of given a, an opportunity through this mental health course system and to have people really believe in you like Christina and see the possibility and all this kind of stuff I I think it must be <clears throat> even more infuriating than to be run into other roadblocks later on when you've done so much work to get to where you are that's really frustrating um, it's obvious to me that that this system has had a huge impact on both of your lives in very different ways and on on so many other people's lives I'm thinking about like what we need as as advocates as kind of revolutionaries in this space looking for what is next how do we push this kind of movement forward how do we convince more people who maybe are curious about alternatives what could we tell someone that's maybe skeptical that a alternative court program like this mental health court program really works what 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 would you say to them you know i guess i mean there's so many things i feel like Laura that i would say and and one of them really as a global theme is, you know, just to Johanna's point, these are not bad people, you know, I think, and that's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, that's something that with mental health, again, with mental health and with substance use and with, with the criminal justice, there's just this, those people, right. You get lumped into Mm -hmm. like those people. And I mean, I've had people say to me, well, I had this one person who actually oddly was involved in the mental health system was like, well, those people with bipolar disorder, I'm like, excuse me, I'm one of those people that like that phrase literally my entire life has like braided at me. Cause whenever you're saying like those people, you're clearly saying that they're inferior and less than, but I think that's one thing is to just, you know, start the, the basic conversations, right? Because it can feel overwhelming to try to change the world all at once. Right. And I mean, I know for me, it does, even though I, you know, I want to, you guys know me well, you know, I just want to mm-hmm. like change the world like immediately right now, Friday morning, just casually change the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like get after it. But I know that, you know, it happens in steps, right? It happens in steps and it happens in waves. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that not everybody, you know, feels comfortable with certain things. So certainly you can always send them to NAMI and send them my way. If they want to have more conversation, I'm always happy to do that. But just, I think just trying to change people's perceptions, right. To just say like, okay, no, I know people who've gone through this system, right. I've known people who do this work mm-hmm. in this space. These are not bad people, you know, people with mental health conditions, with substance use disorders, whether they've, you know, been involved in, in the criminal justice or not, they're not bad people. We're not bad people. Mm-hmm. And when we're sick, sometimes mm-hmm. we do things that we're not particularly proud of, mm-hmm. but we're sick. We, you know, we need to get better. And I think that's just, you know, again, that, that kind of base awareness, you know, I always talk about teachable moments, you know, like what, no matter what the age, no matter what the situation, oftentimes when you see an injustice being done or you hear an injustice, there's a teachable moment there, you know? So thinking about when you're talking with people about mental health, especially thinking about restorative practice, kind of having like a toolbox, if you will, right? What are your teachable moments? And so, you know, mine, like a a big one for me is language, you know, people using inappropriate language about mental health, substance use, you know, treatment, just all kinds of different things. I've got the whole litany of teachable moments, right? When I hear things 
and they can say, actually, you know, let's think about it like that. I know, Laura, you're like, oh, I can't imagine you doing that, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. <laughs> just thinking about what your teachable moments could be, right? And just, you know, educating mm-hmm. yourself as much as possible and then being, you know, being revolutionaries in the space that you are. Mm, being revolutionary in the space that you are. I love that. It sounds like the way we build awareness, which is what changes people's minds about things, is is two part. One, sharing your own experiences, kind of pointing out or narrating for people like this is actually happening. This is like this is how we change our minds. This is how we have more open minds or or um, the willingness to see the possibility within there. But also, there's a time piece. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, and it's going to happen kind of one person at a time, and it's going to be slow. But that's still progress. Absolutely. Yeah. Johanna, do you have like for the people in your life or maybe people who are finding themselves in, in spaces where this, the kind of path that you were on could be useful to Mm -hmm. them. What do you say to them to help them kind of see the, see the possibility and again, move this movement forward? I just share my experience, strength and hope. And I love how Clay says the restore of justice, just to share the the things that happen positive things that happened to me mm-hmm. in this because actually the whole thing the only bad thing that happened to me during this whole thing was COVID <laughs> um I would have graduated quicker if it wasn't for COVID mm. so and I didn't really have any bad experience and like Elliot was so great with me Judge Elliot and my court liaison she was awesome and I could turn to her anytime I had an issue I could turn to her so and as long as I was honest with them I I could tell them anything you know so that's awesome what you're doing right now is being that revolutionary that's like helping more people see that this is a a valid and effective alternative and a a place where we can as a as a community as a society kind of like push ourselves and each other forward you're you're doing that work right now by sharing your story here it's no small feat to tell your story like we've said and johanna what I admire about you so much is you're holding yourself accountable to what's happened in the past and honoring your truth at the same time. So thank you for doing that and sharing that with others and letting other people listen to that. Christina, thank you for the work you're doing as a huge advocate for this program and being willing to be vulnerable with people that you work with. Thank you both.